Welcome to another episode of Loving Angels Instead. My name is Mel. And my name is Maya. Our guest today is Oliver Roskopf, former head of online marketing at Zalando and former investment manager at Rocket Internet. One of our topics today will be the changes in the angel ecosystem in the last couple of years. Hi, Oliver. Thank you very much for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Oliver, you are one of the 12 open members of the Saarbrücken 21, Saarbrücken 21, a group of well-known angel investors, many coming from Rocket Internet. What is the purpose of that group? It's uh, Saarbrücken 21, first of all, not uh, because we are a Saarbrücken gang coming from uh, the, the western German city of uh, Saarbrücken, but uh, because all of us or most of us got to know each other at Rocket Internet in the very early days in 2008. Most of us uh, joined Rocket or have already been there. And um, the first address of Rocket Internet was uh, Saarbrücken Straße 2021. And so our angel group became Zabrucker 21. We are uh, we, we always like to refer to ourselves as a group of friends that do investments together. Um, there is more or less blind trust amongst of, uh, all of us, and we have been um, uh, most of us know each other from from university already. Then we got to know each other at Rocket Internet, and when some of us um, started to have quite enough personal wealth to give something back into the startup ecosystem, and in order to and then we, we were able to invest in startups, and that's what we started in 2011. The group has um, prior, uh, in, in the early days, it has been slightly bigger. Um, some of the um, managing partners of Project A Ventures, uh, Flo Einemann, Uwe Horstmann, Tiesnander, they have uh, formerly been members of uh, Saarbrücker 21. They're not allowed anymore because of their fund statutes. But today, uh, yeah, we are, we are at the size of uh, 12 people from uh, yeah, all, all kind of areas all of us still being active with their own business yeah? so we like to call ourselves rather active investors that know what founders go through and, and which which troubles they have can you run us a little bit more through the group dynamics so what does it mean that you guys invest together in the past years, uh, in 2011, we started investing. First investment was in, in Bad Salen, which is still up and running and our investment there is still alive. What does it mean to be an angel investor in our group? So we have a kind of gentleman's agreement that uh, none of us does his or, own, or just his, in, in this case, uh, own investments. We share investment proposals that we receive with the group and Amongst us, we uh, choose the the ones we like best, and we meet once per month and um, have a we call it a pitch night. And during that pitch night, every startup that we selected for pitching gets uh, one hour to present their case to us. And then, yeah, sometimes we invest, sometimes we don't, but we hopefully always provide valuable feedback for them. In the past, we've done roughly seventy to seventy-five investments. And each of us invests individually. So whatever his uh, personal bank account uh, says at that point of time or whether or not he was uh, convinced. And then we usually pool our investment behind one uh, in our group who becomes the lead, who is there in order to sign shareholder resolutions or whatever may be necessary. But we don't have like a, a vehicle or a fund uh, because that would make us less, less flexible. That would mean more unanimous uh, decisions. So not all of the 12 of you have to agree on making that investment? No, it's uh, totally sufficient. If only one of us says, okay, I want to invest, uh, it's uh, just that um, the ticket size will then obviously be smaller. Obviously, uh, we have different 
personal wealth. So uh, some people can do rather larger tickets of, I don't know, 50 or 100,000 euros. Some only do small tickets of 10,000. The size of the round really depends on how convincing the startup was. And we've done everything in between 20 to 500 or 600k. On the group's website, you say that you have done many mistakes yourselves and you want to help others to not make the same mistakes. Now is your chance. What have been your three main mistakes and your learnings that you took out of them? There are definitely a couple of things that we've done in the past and uh, certainly things that we will do in, in the future that were or will not be ideal. One of the mistakes I'd say we made early on was and that we were convinced too quickly, especially by, we always talk about teams. Yeah? Everybody says you have to invest in people and that's that's right, yeah? but it's not sufficient to, to have a great team. The idea also needs to be big enough. And that was probably one of the mistakes we made very early on. We saw a great team. We somehow saw the need for the solution the team offered. And then we made investment decisions that helped um, the, the startups become bigger. But then in the end, we, we need to make some, some money out of our investments as well. Yeah. So this is something where we found it after a couple of years very difficult for the startup to progress further it's very difficult to find uh, somebody to sell it to it is very difficult to make startups profitable that can't reach a certain scale yeah? so um, first mistake we definitely made was we were convinced too quickly by a very convincing founder and that's nothing about the founder the founders um, have always been great but the idea has simply not been big enough vcs need to look for for unicorns otherwise they won't invest because they need to find a fund returner for angels it's probably not necessary to, to find a unicorn in order to receive a great return, but uh, obviously our fail rate will be even higher than that of a VC. And in order for a startup to invest in, um, you should at least be able to imagine this company becoming worth uh, 100 million or something, even when, when they start pitching. So um, that was definitely some mistake we, we made in the beginning. Some founders are very keen on really keeping their money together and um, therefore they refrain of hiring expensive personnel in the beginning. That's also something that, that is probably not the right move. Yeah, so um, it's something where by today we've probably come to the conclusion that it's super, super important to hire sometimes even very expensive people. I mean, you, you, we can't pay salaries in startups that larger corporations pay. Nevertheless, if there's a very good, very driven uh, employee that wants to take over a major position in a startup, but he asks for, I don't know, 60,000 euros salary a year, then you shouldn't refrain just because you're afraid, okay, if I pay him 5k instead of 4k, then this will shorten my runway by 0.2 months or whatever. Yeah? And that's, that's not the point. So go for the big hires probably and invest in personnel. One further thought is that, especially in the last couple of years, and um, when we got to invest a little more in SaaS models, but this is this this holds up for for all business models that we invest in. You need to be aware of um, the stages that you go through and the capital you need in order to survive the different stages. So, um, especially for SaaS companies, which we've learned in the past years. There was like a rule of thumb. So um, if you do an investment, a seed round, a series A, it should hold for, I don't know, 12 to 18 months. Yeah? And in that time, you need to do something with the money and then uh, raise another round on a higher valuation. For certain business models, um, that period of time may not be enough, yeah? especially in SaaS models. Founders are convinced that, uh, okay, um, we need to raise that round now and then we'll do six months of developing 
and then we have six months of sales and then uh, we'll be able to raise at a higher valuation with the revenue run rate of whatever. Huh? So after six months, um, they say, okay, the product is ready. They go out and they find out, um, shit, the product uh, is not working yet. The customers have lots of lots of remarks regarding the product. They want changes, etc. So they come back. They have to develop another six months in order to get the product really to, to um, reach a product market fit. And then they run out of money and not showing any revenue, but having often they have they have a good product, but nobody knows and uh, no VC will invest because um, I mean they they simply don't invest if they don't see revenue traction and that leaves many many startups running out of cash that would have a chance if they had just raised I don't know half half a million more in the in the early days. Huh? So you really need to be aware of the, the amount of funding that you will need for your specific business model. And this is, I'd say, the three things I would say come together. You mentioned that startups might, should better predict their capital needs and essentially take into consideration a certain cushion if they're lucky that they actually can just easily raise half a million more because also most probably that means they need to give up more of their equity because the valuation will probably not change. So what do you think about that? Actually, founders diluting themselves just for the sake of having an extra cushion to sit on. It's better to have 40% of uh, something than having 50% of nothing. Uh, that's probably the standard answer you will, <laughs> you will get at this point for this kind of question. I think, I mean, obviously early on you uh, usually dilute the most. Um, so... Equity is the uh, most valuable thing you have in your company, in your startup, and so you should be careful about it. But if you see that capital need and um, if that will mean another 5 or 10% uh, dilution early on, it's totally worth it. The, the case I just mentioned uh, earlier, if you run into that problem, you have no revenue to show. You have a great product, um, then maybe your existing investors will step in, but they will step in at a very low valuation or somebody external that may see the, the great product product will step in and provide you with money but at different valuation and that may be way more costly than giving up a few percentage points in the very early days. We talked about the failures. Let's go into the opposite direction. Let's talk about the successes. Do you have three top successes that you would share? There is definitely a couple of uh, portfolio companies that have been very, very successful. Still some some running that uh, that are very successful i think um going into it, I, I think i'm a little proud that we invested in companies and that have brought up founders that are investing themselves now that are strengthening the ecosystem um audi bene for example um great great startup here from uh, from berlin marco is really someone that is well known in the uh, in the angel scene he's really helping the ecosystem Amorelli, uh, lea and uh, sebastian pollock they're great uh, for the ecosystem very present especially lea and uh, I'm, i'm very happy that we uh, were able to be part of their journey and, and uh, their successes and then yeah there's obviously financial successes um where where we've achieved great returns quando uh, for example uh, which was the highest multiple uh, i have achieved so far i can tell you that uh, a few are still running some some known for example uh, flush and post is uh, one of the the startups uh, running and being very very successful i'm really happy to currently see how uh, lily do is doing they are uh, they're great they're everywhere um on on uh, all the playgrounds you see in Berlin, there's uh, people running around with the uh, Lilidoo stuff, and uh, it's really t cool to to see that and and um, 
how people are changing uh, or how founders are changing. We're just providing the money and some advice, but they are really doing it, um, how they are changing um, the, the world we live in. You mentioned the business angel ecosystem and this or the scene, as you called it. You've been in it since, well, 2011, as you said. How has it changed over the past years? Do you see more competition? Who are the typical people that you would consider the new competition? Or actually, are there more multiplier and facilitators. Back in 2011, um, our name was not Zabrucka 21. We simply didn't have a name because um, there was not much competition around and there were very few people that did um, angel investments. Uh, it was um, more or less people from uh, the first uh, wave of internet startups around uh, around 2000 that uh, had not lost all the money in the in the first <laughs> uh, breakpoint of, uh, of the internet. And um, so they were investing, but that was not very many. And then um, we were the first ones to uh, to come along that were lucky enough to uh, to make some money. And we kept that. Uh, and, and I would say we, we saw pretty much most of the teams that started up something in Berlin, we saw their pitch decks. Yeah? And, um, and we were able to sometimes invest, sometimes we missed an investment, uh, like everybody in the investment business. And then um, the first one we really missed was Dubsmash back in the days. Yeah? So we saw, wow, Dubsmash. Berlin team, we haven't seen their investment deck. Yeah? It, it didn't even cross our desks. And uh, that was when we as a group thought, okay, something is changing in this Berlin ecosystem. And that keeps going until today. And we tried to fight it a little bit. We gave ourselves a name. Uh, it's not super fancy, but at least uh, people can, can find us. And the name is at least known to, to some of the founders out there. So hopefully we see a few more, more decks than we would without the name. Um, but uh, then yeah, the, more and more money has come into the city, more and more people are successful. And that is in the end, that is something that is great for um, for young founders. Uh, it's great for the ecosystem as a whole because more money means more ideas being realized and more more things happening. On the other hand, for us as business angels, life has become a little more difficult. Nevertheless, that's, uh, that's something we can probably deal with. Valuations have gone up. Uh, founders are asking for... Um, for higher valuations, uh, just coming with a PowerPoint and, and saying, okay, look, got this great idea, but it's three million pre. Um, <laughs> yeah, sometimes you um, you have to sometimes you have to pay that huh? because um, it's uh, if you're convinced by the team and by the idea, and uh, then it's a great thing. Yeah, wouldn't you have loved to invest at to into into Google at a, a, a one billion valuation? Yeah, everybody would have loved to. So sometimes you need to pay. You just need to be very careful because risk for failure has stayed exactly the same no matter what the valuation is. And for the same fifty thousand euros back in the days, maybe you got five percent. Today you get one or two percent. Uh, or whatever, and uh, you need to be careful and selective about um, the teams you, you bet on nowadays. You mentioned investments that you've missed because they haven't ended up on your desk. Is there one investment that was on your desk, but you declined and you are actually really sad that you declined upon? <laughs> Not from the top of my head, but I'm, if I would ask into the group right now, um, there would certainly be a number of, um, of teams that would come up um, that we missed to invest in, yeah. You said that you like that there is more money flowing into the city now. Is Berlin as a as an ecosystem for angels special in some sort of way um, in comparison to other major cities in Europe? I think there is an angel network in probably every city, but at least from my experience, angel networks are rather local local things. Yeah, so I know a lot of uh, Berlin business angels. I know a few angels from uh, from other cities in Germany or in Europe as well. Um, it's a rather local phenomenon, so it's rather about uh, Berlin as a city, which tends to, like, everybody would, 
would probably agree that it's a very international city. It attracts talent, so that makes makes it a, a good breeding ground for for founders in order to attract uh, attract exactly that talent. From an angel perspective, I think Berlin is a great city because there is many founders. But apart from that, it probably, I mean, if there's a startup in Munich or in Hamburg or in, in Cologne um, or in London or in Barcelona, doesn't really matter. But um, it's rather me as a Berlin angel. I would rather invest in a startup coming from uh, Berlin because it's so much easier to um, just, I mean, you can always call, but it's easier to sit face to face and to discuss things and uh, and go through strategies if it's just I don't know, a twenty-minute ride uh, by bike to to get to the office and uh, and just sit down and and, and talk. If uh, if you're not, I mean, I do have an invest. I don't have an Israeli investment. Not sure how it's going to turn out. Uh, I met him twice. Uh, I get a reporting every six months, and I'm really thinking, okay, well, I'm probably not going to get my money back, or maybe I do, but I just don't know. And there, I just I'm a little bit out of touch. Uh, I hope that. Um, and there were only two German investors there, and the rest was Israeli. I hope the Israeli Tel Aviv investors have a good grip on him, and um, uh, they're making sure it, it runs well. So, yeah, I think every major city probably has their uh, their angel networks, which uh, which work. And uh, the Berlin network is simply rather big. You mentioned it's a problem being out of touch um, with a startup that is um, further away from you. Has this been a problem before, being too far apart, or maybe? Also, if you work internationally, language gaps with founders, has that been a problem? I think uh, everybody speaks uh, sufficiently uh, English nowadays, so um, we, we get along there rather well. But it's uh, like like you mentioned, and I mentioned earlier, the, the geographical distance is something that makes at least collaboration less easy. And as angel investors, you're you're usually the, the very first investors in a company and most mistakes are being made by founders very, very early on. So um, a frequent uh, exchange on um, on all kinds of topics, yeah? uh, maybe how to to uh, go to the uh, Amtsgericht or whatever, Handelsregister, then you get all those fake bills um, that sometimes are being paid or I don't know what, but that can be problems, can be strategic stuff, can be marketing stuff, can be logistic stuff. And that's why you usually, why, why you're getting angels here. I mean, you're receiving the money, but um, as, uh, as a founder, you also need to um, get that advice and yeah? you really need to, I always, uh, I mean, I will push from time to time, but it's mostly a pull from the founders, and um, that pull is so much easier if you're if you're in close proximity. That's why I think there is no such thing as uh, language barriers or whatever. Um, but the geographic barrier makes getting the best out of uh, an angel investor a little more difficult. What was that with the fake bills? What happens with fake <laughs> bills? <laughs> so if you register your business, um, uh, then you have to register at the Handelsregister, and um, then you need to pay the bill for the registry and uh, because it's something public then you will receive like uh, 10 to 20 to 30 uh, different invoices uh, from companies that uh, will tell you okay uh, you've registered so here's a 700 euro bill for your registry and you need to pick out the one that's been sent from the real Amtsgericht uh, or whatever that is and the other 19 uh, which is fake and they will just sign you up for some something uh, on the internet that is totally worthless um, but uh, it helped I mean uh, we paid it yeah once uh, we paid it in the very first company eDarling back in the days a rocket internet company we did exactly that mistake we paid 600 euros to some fake registry thing by then I've received probably hundreds or even thousands of uh, of those letters but um 
but yeah, um, at least I'm not paying them anymore. So um, every time I uh, I throw it into the bin, it's uh, a little bit of revenge for the very first one that we paid. So it actually comes with a letter officially, uh, not even email, yeah. really. It also happened yeah. to some of our startups. Really did it? That's a normal thing to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's scam. In Germany. It's scam. Wow. Oh, that's, you're, you're so naive, <laughs> thinking that there is no criminal energy in Germany. No, I would, I would imagine there to be criminal energy, but this is, I would, I would imagine there to be some sort of protection because I don't know how many companies are being, actually, no, I know how many companies are being founded in, was it in Berlin or was it in general? But it was definitely like every... 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. Was it in... In Berlin. Really, I think it was really 20 minutes. Every in Berlin. 20 minutes in Berlin, a startup is being founded. That means uh, that notaries are very rich. Yes, twenty <laughs> twenty letters are being sent every twenty minutes as well to like twenty scam letters. Are these the brain teasers that you had to solve during your interview? Yeah, they <laughs> are. Um, let's continue with our little um, category. We have a category called the Angel ABC, where we would ask you to explain two phrases that are frequently being used in the angel um, ecosystem and explain them in really simple language so that anyone who doesn't really know much about angel investing can understand it. So kind of as if I was a five-year-old. The Angel ABC. So the first sentence is T for tag-along or tag-along rights. Drag-along is um, if everybody um, else is selling to an acquiring party, then you're being dragged and you have to sell as well. And the tag-along is if there is uh, one party selling I don't know, 50% uh, to somebody else, then you are um, entitled to sell at least your portion of your investment to the acquirer as well, so that you would be able to sell um, 50% of your investment in that case as well. Okay. The second one, very obvious, is V for <laughs> venture capital. V for venture capital. So venture capital is um, the the nasty guys you always send the uh, pitch decks to um, after you as an angel have invested, and they usually are very interested and want to stay informed for uh, some time uh, afterwards, but they uh, only rarely invest into the companies. Yeah. But really, it's, um, it's funds um, that uh, take a certain risk class uh, in this case uh, venture capital and they are usually the guys starting at seed or series a putting money into your company. so it's just a group of people who gather their money and then they so it's try a to fund it. that usually so a fund um, that consists of so-called managing partners um, that are the guys that are running the fund and um, limited partners those limited partners are people that provide money to that fund yeah, so it's family offices or very rich individuals that give money to a certain fund And um, that fund then invests the money for the, the LPs and the MPs uh, into startups. All right. That was the Angel ABC. We have talked about Zabrika 21. We've talked about tag-along rights and drag-along rights. Uh, let's talk about your portfolio a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about GetSafe? GetSafe, very successful company that just raised a lot of money from, uh, from early bird. So what they're doing is they're trying to digitize the uh, insurance industry and um, they are uh, offering insurances themselves for ideally millennials um, are, are mostly acquiring uh, those um, insurances yeah, and uh, they're bringing 
transparency to uh, to a market that has not been super transparent and they're trying to make uh, working through an insurance um, super easy and uh, make everything accessible uh, through an app. Intertech is actually big, let's say, in the US for quite some time with solutions like Lemonade. Why do you think it took so much time for Germany to finally get up to speed? InsurTech or Germany and Europe in general, um, it's an area that has a lot more difficulties attracting large funding rounds. And in in my personal view, InsurTech is an industry that requires a lot of funding in order to um, have successful startups. And this is one of the things that uh, GetSafe actually uh, struggled with. Um, they um, they tried to really get a very large round early on, but it was difficult because um, in, in German or in European uh, startups, it's not so easy to scale as uh, as it is in the US. Yeah? I think this is um, the, the main reason why it took longer for InsurTechs to really um yeah, really make make ground in in Europe or in in Germany. Right now, there is I mean, there's a whole bunch of uh, insurtechs really becoming becoming big, um, getting major funding rounds. Um, Friday is there, Clark is there, Lemonade is starting in uh, in Europe as well and in Germany. So um, now there is competition, but obviously it's it's a huge market, and huge markets always attract startups. Yeah. Why is it harder to scale here? Uh, I mean, there is cultural differences, there's language barriers that simply makes it, I mean, if you're selling uh, an insurance in uh, in LA or in Dallas or in New York, um, it's not a big difference uh, also from a legislatory perspective. Uh, if you do the same in Europe, if you want to sell in, in Rome, in Paris and in Berlin, that is a very different thing. Yeah? And although the European Union as a whole is uh, as a market as big as uh, the US probably, you have to adopt a lot of things um, in order to, not, not <laughs> language is only, only one of them, yeah? but um, then uh, you, you're probably not allowed to sell exactly the same product, um, especially in, in, in insurance uh, in, in Germany or in France or in Spain or in Italy or whatever. Um, makes it a little more difficult to scale. Um, it's a little more difficult to convince VCs that your product will scale as easily if you have to adopt for, for every market. And um, that simply makes VCs think a little bit longer whether or not they want to pour a couple hundred million into uh, a capital-intensive uh, business model. You touched upon regulatory problems with this industry. You touched upon the higher funding needs. So why did you decide to do this one? Mm -hmm. And the GetSafe one, um, because uh, I'm I was really convinced by I'm the only one from um, from Zabroka that did the investment. Um, I really like Christian and the founder. Um, so he was uh, very very convincing. Um, the sanity check question that we always do is. Um, Will there be this product or this business model in 10 years' time? And the answer was totally yes. And um, they, they pitched back in the days with a totally different business model, Yeah, to be honest. They, they pitched with a wallet, um, so not offering uh, an insurance themselves, but rather um, managing all the different uh, insurances because of the capital need in order to um, offer your own insurance. But they, I mean, um, they struggled, they learned, and um, they changed their business model completely and uh, now they they are running a very very successful uh, company and um, yeah i was uh, was uh, very convinced uh, early on and uh, I, i think they did a great great job uh, spotting that they were on the wrong path for for making a get safe hopefully one day uh, a unicorn yeah and um, so that was uh, the reason why knock on wood knock on wood mm -hmm. <laughs> another startup you invested in is actually one of our sister companies which was axel springer plug and play Deine Studienfinanzierung, 
it's a German product for a German market. And we just talked about scaling. Why did you decide to invest into a product that is yet only meant for the German yeah. market? GetSafe is also just uh, selling in Germany at the moment um, because there is some markets that are huge, even if you're just looking at uh, one country, and this in this case, Germany. So the market for financing um, your studies uh, is huge. Uh, I mean, we, we always talk about the, the US student loan. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, I don't know, I think two billion or whatever. It's huge. It's a huge market, and that's always when when it comes to. Uh, so, if you look at a pitch deck and you get the market size um, slide, sometimes you really need to dig very deep in order to understand is this market big enough? Yes or no. But looking at student loans in order for people to finance their studies, I didn't even ask the question. Yeah, uh, from from the very beginning, I knew this market is huge, um, and Germany alone would be big enough. Um, Nonetheless, it could, they could still roll it out to uh, to other countries. But again, I have no idea whether there's something like BAföG, uh, for example. Yeah? So, um, um, so I think the market is big enough. And um, looking at the pain to go through um, BAföG uh, registry and stuff, um, I really found their solution very, very useful. And um, this is why, um, why I thought this needs to be a process that will help people get loans and uh, in order to study and that maybe otherwise wouldn't have the chance and uh, it also helps uh, to make German bureaucracy a little less complicated and hopefully even the government learns at some point um, that um, that these digitized processes are the way forward um, to run uh, finally a society probably uh, but in this case it's enough to to um, just be able to make uh, make life more affordable as a student um, by doing a digital, a digital res registry for student loan. Is this peer-to-peer uh, -peer lending? They're working on it. Huh? Um, it's Peer-to-peer <laughs> -peer lending, what is that? Ideally, um, they will get an immediate um, response to uh, the, the request of, uh, I don't know, in the, in the BAföG uh, case, they're trying to, uh, to make a decision in, in real time. Yeah? So um, they're trying to get that, that response immediately and um, be able to tell you after, I mean, you push a button and ideally it comes up with a, with a response. Whether or not you may get funding. Whether or not you may get funding and in which amount, because I mean, you need to provide a ton of data. But, um, but if, if you have that, usually you would wait two months for somebody to look at the papers and then tell you, okay, I calculated on my calculator, it's uh, €378.65 that you get every month and um, through Deine uh, Studienfinanzierung, ideally you get that money, uh, you, you get notified immediately and they're even working on a process to immediately get the money transferred through an intermediary that uh, will provide the funds in advance. I, I actually used the tool once and what I found really, really, really smart was that on the left, it always shows how much time you've saved. So it basically says, so if you hadn't done this with us, you would have spent 240 minutes by now and then 500 minutes and more and more. I think it's really smart. Any tool could basically do that. Yeah, but it's uh, it's some bureaucracy to get access to the service of Cafe, which is um, which which provides a student credit or to, to the buffer content. So. You mentioned now a case where you invested without the others from Zabrücken 21. That also means that you might be thrown in into a pool of angels that you don't know before. What is the difference in working together under your gentleman's agreement? And mm -hmm. I'm using quotation marks here, what you can see. <laughs> and 
And other angels that you're basically being thrown into around with. Yeah. Obviously, there's angels that you know that from from outside the group, um, that you by now blindly trust, especially people that uh, that you've known for I don't know ten years or whatever. But within the Zabolka group, um, and that's uh, that's our gentleman's agreement. It's investing amongst friends that I would blindly trust with all my money, yeah? um, which I do, um, because I let them go through uh, contracts and sign stuff and, and whatever. So this is something that um, I would only do with the selected angels outside the group. And I think even there, it's probably slightly more asking for reporting, so having questions back and forth. Yeah? So it's really this blind understanding within the group um, that um, uh, that we trust each other 100%. The reportings, you mentioned it many times now, what needs to be in those reportings and how often would you usually like to get them? Usually we get them once per month. That is totally sufficient. Um, if startups reach a, a later stage, but that's only very, very big, uh, then we usually, oh, we, we sometimes get reportings only once per quarter. I think if you get the the basic, if you get a BVR, uh, that, um, that is always a good sign because that means somebody else has also looked at, uh, at the numbers and said, okay, um, uh, this works. What is a BVR? Um, a BV <laughs> um, Betriebswirtschaftliche Abrechnung. Um, so uh, it's basically a statement that you have to hand into your, um, to your, or you have to give it to an accountant and they do it every month in order to provide you with the proper P&L, profit and loss uh, perspective. Yeah, So you see, okay, I made this mu that much revenue. I've had these costs. And um, bottom line is I lost that much money here this month, <laughs> uh, which is uh, most of, of the cases. Um, that is good. It's not I, – I, if, if somebody has trouble providing BVR uh, from the very beginning, that's totally fine, but they should get there probably because um, it shows that they have their, um, their numbers um, – they get them straight huh, and uh, they know what um, what's happening in their own company. So that is something that I would expect the founder to provide uh, on a frequent basis. Apart from that, I don't need uh, sides and sides and of of uh, quantitative uh, qualitative reporting because I mean I'm I'm a founder myself uh, to the investing stuff. So um, me personally, I like to keep investors informed because then they can only help if they if they're informed. Um, <coughs> but um, if uh, there are uh, there are some major talking points, then you put them uh, just as bullets into an email, and um, then if somebody has additional remarks, they can always call or um, or I as uh, being on the investor side. If I have questions, then I would call the respective founder in order to um, figure out what's uh, what's going on, or if I have an idea how to improve things, then. I would I would call him. We talked about the angel networks and that there are more angels today than there were um, like 10 years ago. How do you think in the future the angel network's going to develop? Are they going to be even more and more and more angels or people from uh, international angels coming into Berlin? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think there's going to be more angels because there's going to be um, more successful startups and there's going to be um, yeah, uh, more and more coming and growing. And uh, I mean... We are always looking at the the Silicon Valley, and uh, there's a ton of investors out there uh, in the valley, and that is because they have a much longer history of uh, of tech being part of um, of the valley. And uh, I think this is what we're going to see in in Berlin and Germany and Europe um, overall as well. Uh, and I hope we will see that because I think it's uh, it's changing uh, life for the better. So I think there's going to be more. 
people coming out of this ecosystem, more internationals coming in because they find Berlin a very exciting city. And um, still, although uh, things are getting more and more expensive, it's still a relatively moderate comparing it to um, to other larger startup hubs. So, um, yeah, I think uh, there's going to be more money and more people coming in. All right. Oliver, we want to thank you very much for being our guest today and we wish you all the best for your future investments. Thank you very much to our listeners, as always, for tuning in. We will be back next week with another episode. And uh, if you uh, if you have an, uh, a pitch deck to share, yeah, then uh, always uh, always tune in or um, yeah, uh, uh, write me an email, uh, oliver.roskopf at gmail.com. Yeah, um, go ahead and uh, uh, we'll see. Maybe we can either invest together or... Um, We'll, uh, we also have a website that you can uh, check out. And, uh, yeah, I hope uh, the ecosystem is going to strive. You heard it. Thank you very much, Oliver. <laughs> <laughs>